I'm Joel Parker, and this is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, April 9th, 2019. Coming up, Conference on World Affairs speaker Michelle Thaler talks about, well, everything in the universe and more. First, an item on the science calendar, or the silence calendar. If you don't get enough astronomy in today's show, well, tonight, Astronomy on Tap Colorado will be hosting three speakers. That's tonight, April 9th, from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Gun Barrel Brewing Company in Boulder. At this event... Dr. Vicki Hamilton from Southwest Research Institute will talk about the OSIRIS-REx mission, which you may recall we had her on our show around Christmas talking about what they might find. Now you can hear what they did find. Dr. Zach Berta-Thompson from CU Boulder will share his thoughts on In Search of Sunset on Alien Worlds. And Erica Egan from CU Boulder will illuminate our minds with music of the universe. For more information and how to get tickets to the event, go to astronomyontap.org. <laughs> listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Joel Parker. The Conference on World Affairs is happening this week at the University of Colorado Boulder campus and at other venues around the city. Each year at this time, KGNU hosts a series of panels with the conference throughout the week. Today's How on Earth show is a special edition in conjunction with the Conference on World Affairs. Our guest is Dr. Michelle Thaler, Assistant Director of Science at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. Her path has taken her from Harvard to Georgia State University to Caltech to NASA. Dr. Thaler has studied hot stars, colliding stellar winds, binary star evolution, evolved stellar companions, and infrared astronomy in general. She is one of the regular hosts of the Discovery Science Channel shows How the Universe Works. And Space's Deepest Secrets, maybe we'll find some secrets, and hosts the podcast Orbital Path on public radio. Uh, she has serious geek 
cred before it was cool. Maybe we'll find out more about that. And apparently is friends with Lady Gaga's keyboardist, who is also a big astronomy fan. So welcome to How on Earth, Michelle. <laughs> Did you find that out on my Facebook page? No, there, there are ways. There are ways. Uh, Joel, you, you picked my absolute favorite piece of Renaissance music there. Was that just a coincidence? Um, uh, Yes, it was. Wow. Actually, that, yeah, that was the uh, Boulder Renaissance. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. That was the, the Frog Galliard by, by John That's Noland. Very and, good. Uh, it, it was. It's, yeah, it, 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 that was one of my favorite madrigals to sing, and also my favorite galliard to dance to. So, I mean, that's incredible. So, <laughs> you're not just an astronomer. You sing and dance. I sing and dance, yes, yes. I, I mean, that's all part of being an astronomer. No, it's... Um, um, I find astronomers are the best people in the world to work with and to live with, and I'm married to one and all of that. I mean, they, they have they have broad interests, like yourself. I mean, you, you have also performed at Renaissance fairs. That's true. You know, I, I know a lot about all of your, your music involvement. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we, look, we look everywhere, up in the sky and inside, and uh, it, it's interesting because there are these stereotypes of scientists. Uh, you know, they do these studies of kids before a scientist walks in the room, draw a scientist. What do they usually draw? You know, <laughs> somebody in a white coat somebody, with glasses. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I never wore a white coat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing one right now, at yeah. least. Um, and uh, yet, many of the you know talented musicians that I know uh, have either science backgrounds or are working scientists. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think you know one of the most destructive stereotypes possible is is the idea that you need to have a certain type of personality to be a scientist. That that personality is very dry, very linear, very logical. Um, it's also, I think, I mean, to me, I've I've hated this idea that you have to be brilliant, right? The idea that somehow you're so much smarter than 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 you know any anybody else and. That's something that keeps, it almost kept me out of science. That's something that keeps a lot of good people from wanting to study science. This very false misconception that there is a certain way to be a scientist. So if you had a uh, person who told you, a high school student perhaps, or an undergrad there, interested in science how do i become a scientist what is what are your recommendations what are your words of wisdom <laughs> well i mean the thing that i love about being a scientist is the fact that curiosity sort of takes central a central part in my life and it has been for the last 25 years i'm still learning new things i'm eagerly awaiting some of the scientific results that are coming out tomorrow mm. about about you know the, the black hole the event horizon telescope all of that you, you learn something new every week i uh, i think that uh you know, the, the misconceptions about being a scientist is we, we do all this physics and math, and uh, and, and a lot of people There get, is some of that. Uh, I, I love that. That's why I got into to science. But of course, I mean, as you become more of a, of a senior scientist, the way we are, it becomes more about grant writing and managing mm -hmm. and, and, and writing reports and making sure the money keeps flowing. You have to be good at managing people. Mentoring. You know, and mentoring, you know, all of those things. And, and I think that a lot of people are surprised how little of the job actually is the, uh, the equations. It is. I, I tell people uh, it's not till the end of the year when I look back at how really cool this job is sometimes because I just imagine a lot of times sitting there at my keyboard working spreadsheets writing proposals and yep. managing as you say uh, but it is a very cool job 
It's there's no way around that. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you know, e- even if it's only a, a tiny part of the job, you know, there are moments of extreme awesomeness. I mean, I, I was here at Lockheed Martin uh, for the arrival of Osiris Rex mm-hmm. at the asteroid Bennu, and so we were all counting down. You know, I was I was there. You know, that that's an amazing moment. I, I'll I'll never forget the, uh, the the night. It was one one thirty in the morning Eastern time when the Mars Curiosity rover landed, and that was everybody should experience this in their life. I mean, at some point, I realized I was screaming and jumping up and down with joy. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't remember starting. It was mm. it was I was so carried away that I'm like, oh, I better settle down. <laughs> you know, I, that's a wonderful experience to find yourself unexpectedly screaming with joy. It really is. <laughs> it, it's excitement. It's you know because of the long period of time you've seen in the work and building something like that. But the thrill of exploration and discovery and knowing you've arrived you're that you are, i keep saying you're there you know we really extend ourselves out Absolutely. to our little robotic emissaries out there well you can't help but do that i mean they, they become our avatars and uh you know I, I remember when the rosetta stone mission you know when when the the, the philae lander and all of that when, when they finally the batteries lost their charge oh, and it went to sleep yes. i was shedding some tears <laughs> it was I, I was a little worried because they had kind of very anthropomorphized yes. philae and People loved it, the cartoons they had and everything like that. And I knew Philae was not forever. (laughs) And I was really worried how they were going to handle the the death, the hibernation, whatever you have. The the bastards made me cry. (laughs) (laughs) But that really shows a lot that it's not just, and I I don't want to belittle, say just the intellectual pursuit, but there's... In exploration and astronomy and and wondering about the universe, there's a real emotional connection there. And that's something that I think uh, allows people to connect with astronomy more so than nuclear physics or something like that, is everyone could look up and contemplate and wonder. Everyone can be a budding astronomer. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I don't know how you, you, you can possibly learn what we're taught as astronomers, what, what we you know find out to be true about the universe and not have an emotional response. I mean, when you learn that you know, all of your atoms, or at least anything other than hydrogen, was, was formed in a star, you know, it's specifically, I mean, the, the, the wonderful result that came out last year that, you know, all of pretty much all the atoms of gold, platinum, mm-hmm. uh, bismuth, you know, they, they have to be mergers of neutron stars. I mean, so I here I have got this gold wedding ring. And I mean, I mean that's an incredible story. Right. Where where did that come from? <laughs> this came from neutron stars <laughs> colliding. Yeah, the, and it's being worn by a star. Well, know? yeah. The, I mean, it, it's amazing to think that we really saw that. I mean, you know, the first detection was through these gravitational waves you know, mm-hmm. with, with the LIGO observatory that it senses these tiny little ripples in actual space and time. But then, uh, you know, all of NASA's missions, once this was detected, you know, stopped what they were doing and turned to see the ensuing explosion and anything else they could, they could observe from it. And there was something on the order of 10,000 times the mass of the Earth that came out in gold and heavy elements in a single yeah. event. Right. That's just <laughs> one example. And and I believe they're coming back online now. Absolutely. I, I think they, that, that happened just a couple of weeks ago with mm-hmm. even greater sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, I mean, it used to be that we were getting a gravitational wave signal a couple times a year. It, it may go up to once a month or more. That, yeah. that it's really opening a whole new uh, vista, new era an area of astronomy. That's right. Very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the things that, you know, drew us mm-hmm. into astronomy um, and science in general. And, you know, for the for the young budding scientists, I'm sure encouraging that and saying these are the kind of things is just 
part of the story of the work that we do. Uh, but it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's a little bit of a tight pipeline, too. There aren't, you know, a world's worth of astronomers out there. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I guess my interest is not so much in mentoring people specifically to become astronomers. You know, I would very much like just a general public that appreciates this and, and can, can enjoy some of the wonderful things that are happening, wonderful things we're discovering. If, if, if more people understood, you know, where your atoms come from, or, you know, I often do uh, lectures at the Smithsonian, mm. and these are people who are, are, are very well educated, you know, they're from pretty high economic brackets, and they, they've gotten themselves to the Smithsonian, and they'll ask me questions like, you know, so, so the sun is something like a star. And I was like, like well, yes, wow. I, you know, I always have to remember to really kind of take it back and realize that, that most people don't understand, you know, the sun is a star. You know, mm -hmm. stars are like the sun, but farther away. I think as, as scientists, we kind of launch into all the details very quickly. And we really, you, you were just talking about the storytelling. You know, you back up and, and use the narrative, the emotions. Uh, we actually bring people like uh, improv actors and, 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 and comics, stand-up comics. We, we bring them in to talk to scientists about how you can relate to your audience, how you can turn something into a story. It's important. You know, it, it is, because a lot of the people who go into science aren't necessarily trained in communication. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of them don't want to do that. Uh, but it's very valuable to share that information. It's We have the privilege of doing much of our work due to the graciousness of people who support us through their taxes and so on. And uh, it's, it's a giving back. And I know you do a lot of public outreach and communication and things like that. Um, and, you know, one idea that you mentioned, the sun is actually a star, like the stars we see in the sky. What are some other kind of misconceptions that you have <laughs> run across over time? Well, it's it's funny, all the different sorts of misconceptions you can talk about. I mean, we, we began this conversation talking about the misconceptions of what it means to be a scientist and what the personality of a scientist is. Um, I think that some of the actual astronomical uh, misperceptions that I get over and over again. I mean, I literally do wish I had a dollar for every time I talked about this. Um, I, you know, I, I very often get asked about where the center of the universe is. Because, you know, everyone has heard that the universe is expanding. It, and, it's over there. <laughs> that's right, yes. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and, and this is one where when you just kind of try to explain it in 25 seconds on a television show or to somebody who's just asked you a question, it, it's not something that just trips off the tongue. But the idea that every point in space is the center of the universe. There is no empty center that the galaxies are flying away from. And in fact, this whole idea that the expansion of the universe is galaxies moving through space is something that's so hard to break down. I mean, in, in many respects, I mean, of course, galaxies are gravitationally orbiting each other and attracting each other, and there's that going on. But in a, in a real simple way, galaxies aren't moving at all, at least not with the expansion of the universe. Space itself, in every direction, in every direction you can point in all three dimensions, space is expanding. It's a property of space. So you can think of the galaxies as being still, mm. and the space between them is getting bigger. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So there's no center. And I mean, when, when we map the galaxies, our universe is full of galaxies. There's no empty center. There's no place really where there's a lot fewer galaxies than anywhere else. It's, I mean, yes, there are some areas that are more dense, clusters of galaxies. But, you know, the universe really looks the same in all directions. And that's very important. Hmm. That's one of the reasons we know there isn't a center. It, it's hard because it's just not part of our normal day to day. You know, things that are huge or long time expanses or quantum and very small just unless you've read you know the 
Mr. Tompkin books or something like that, you really don't have a sense of what that's like. What What is the timescale of a million years? And that's a blink of the eye. Yeah. The numbers just, you know, the, the numbers are something the human brain can't wrap itself around. And, and they go both ways. I mean, we were talking about the very small things like gravitational waves. You know, I mean, we, we can observe with the Hubble Space Telescope, if we had enough time, we could observe a couple trillion galaxies with Hubble. You know, each one of those has hundreds of billions of stars, hundreds of billions of planets. But then, of course, there are, there are more molecules in my hand than there are stars in the entire observable universe. So, I mean, it's, there's, there's, there's wonders of scale, both large and small, all around us and inside us. And I, that's part of the fun that I have. It's <laughs> just, it's mind-boggling in many ways. Are there any other kind of misperceptions or questions people always ask that come to mind? You, you have the floor here. <laughs> Anything you want to clear out so you don't have to answer it again? <laughs> oh. Well, some of them are just really fun. They're really excellent teaching moments um, because I know a lot of people uh, ask me, does NASA have a room where we can shield from gravity and the mm. astronauts can practice being weightless? And, uh, and, and that sort of also goes with the idea of why are the astronauts weightless. When, when you see them up in the space station and they're floating around, mm. um, the space station is, a, is a, about you know, between two and 300 miles above us. And it, I, we, you know, it's easy to do the math. This is a simple high school math uh, problem that if, if you were actually just at the top of a tall building, I mean, say you could build a building that's 200 miles tall and you were just going around with the rotation of the earth, you'd be about, you'd be more than 90% of your weight at, mm. at that altitude. It's not because you're far away from the earth that you're weightless. It's the whole idea of what an orbit is, right? That an orbit is that you, something is just going around the Earth so fast that as it falls freely under the force of gravity, falls to the Earth, it's just moving so fast it keeps missing it. <laughs> so basically, you're constantly falling. Constantly falling. All the time. That's why you feel a little irpy, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, when that's you're there. right. Yeah. It's not because you're far away from the Earth. You need to go a lot farther away from the Earth before you would actually right. become weightless for that reason. Yeah, no, I've, I've heard questions of like, uh, why don't the astronauts float away from the moon or something like right. that? They think once you're away from the immediate mm -hmm. Earth, you're just, there is no gravity. Right. Yeah, I've, I've had that one too. Absolutely. So how gravity works, you know, how, and, and just to answer the question that I first started with, no, we do not have a room at NASA that can shield from gravity. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, think about all of the, the potential for construction and experiments. Helpful, now, the, the, you know, basically, I, th I think what people have seen is the inside of uh, the airplane, you know, that they have, they have a padded interior of an enclosed mm -hmm. airplane. The airplane does these, we, we call them, you know, uh, parabolic arcs. It does these big arcs through the air. It does not fall. <laughs> it actually <laughs> flies in these arcs. And and just sort of, uh, the, the, there's skilled pilots that are very good at getting people, I guess, a little more than a minute of being weightless in that plane. So, uh, and there's even been, OK Go filmed a music video in that, yeah, where, uh, yes. where people, there are artists that, that use I it remember, too. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a, no, there's, there's no place on Earth we can shield from gravity. Well, if you just joined us, you're listening to How on Earth, a KJNU science show. I'm Joel Parker, and our guest is astronomer Dr. Michelle Thaller, who is in town this week as a panelist at the Conference of World Affairs being held at the CU Boulder campus. We are talking about everything, just <laughs> everything in the universe, uh. whatever's coming up, uh, misconceptions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, let's actually go back to, uh, you had mentioned uh, um, some upcoming missions and recent results missions that are out there mm -hmm. something about horizons and something like that <laughs> yes uh, that's right uh, black holes and things like that so 
what's happening right now? What's cool? Well, so it, this is going to be a very interesting week. I, 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 do, I, I actually do not know the result that's going to be announced. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I believe it's coming out tomorrow. But there is a, a network of, of radio telescopes and microwave telescopes around the world that have been looking at the big black hole in the center of our galaxy called Sagittarius A. And our best estimates is that Sagittarius A has the mass of about 4 million suns. So over the evolution of the galaxy, that particular black hole has swallowed that equivalent amount of mass. Uh, 4 million suns have gone down the drain. And we actually do observe some stars locked in very close orbit around the black hole. That are getting gobbled or close That's to right. the yeah. But But the actual black hole itself is not very large. I was I was doing a calculation of the, uh, the event horizon, and now I'm not going to be able to uh, 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 remember it exactly. But it, it, I, I think I, I, it was on the order of about 2,000 times the diameter of the Earth. It was something like that, which isn't all that big. Right. For all for all that mass. For Four million times the mass of the sun. And uh, and so it's, it's the actual interior part of the black hole where, where you might actually see black. You might actually see an area where there's no light coming. Um, black holes, ironically, are some of the brightest objects in the universe because they, they attract all this material falling in. There's all this hot gas around them. There's stars orbiting. I mean, they, they can be very, very bright things. And uh, and yet, there actually is a heart inside there where you should be able to see something that's dark, that's actually absorbing light. And that's that's everybody's hope is that this network of radio telescopes has seen that. Ah, so announcement tomorrow yes. on that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep our eyes and ears out for that. Uh, what else is up in the universe these days? Well, there's, I mean, so near and far. I mean, I mean that's something the uh, you know the black hole in the middle of our galaxy is about you know about thirty thousand light years away. But um, uh, I was actually just out here in uh, in Denver a couple months ago for our arrival at, at Bennu, the asteroid. We have a mission called Osiris Rex, and I okay, I, I actually did have to memorize the acronym. Let's see if I can do this. It's, uh-huh. it's early in the morning. It's the the Origins Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer. That's one of the worst acronyms. Oh it my is. God! Tortured acronym. <laughs> <laughs> it's part, that's part of our job, actually. Yeah, to make, make tortured acronyms. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, Osiris-Rex went into orbit around a near-Earth asteroid called Bennu. Um, Bennu is uh, about half a kilometer across. And uh, and just uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we released the, the, the rather mind-blowing observation that this thing is actually, it has jets like a comet. Mm-hmm. There's actually jets of, of like little pebbles and gas coming out, you know, from below the surface of this asteroid. And you don't expect that from an asteroid. No. Yeah, the asteroids have turned out to be very surprising. You know, we uh, we had a mission called Dawn at NASA, which uh, explored the two largest asteroids, Vesta and Ceres. And um, Ceres is a is a big thing. It's actually big enough to be a, a, a sphere. It's a well, it's about six hundred miles across, something like that. And of course, uh, you know, amazingly, the Dawn mission found areas of uh, salt deposits you know, with the implication there might be liquid water under the surface of this asteroid. And um, I mean, think about what we found all the way out at the edge of the solar system with, with Pluto. We, we, we found active glaciers, mountains Nobody made expected. of ice, a suggestion again that there's liquid water under some of these glaciers. These small bodies are far warmer than we expected, and we, have, we, don't, we don't know why. <laughs> right. A, a lot of people, you know, there's radioactive decay, but there shouldn't be enough much, in these yeah. small bodies and, to and they're do, not being tidally up. heated i mean the, the the moons of jupiter and saturn are heated by the tides of, of being around that giant planet but these are in the middle of nowhere and uh um i mean you, you're doing some work on an asteroid mission aren't you uh i am i'm i'm working on the lucy mission which is going to be going out to these asteroids t- called trojans which are out in the orbit of jupiter mm-hmm. which have never been explored before and again it's another 
all these missions. It's the fun of going somewhere that really hasn't been explored, and what are you going to find? And, and asteroids are, are so much more interesting than people know because, you know, I actually have a, a sample of a very uh, a very old type of asteroid. It's, it's a, com- a carbonaceous chondroid. I've got a little slice of one. And uh, this particular one, we can actually say with pretty good certainty that, that, that the little piece of rock that I have is, is older than the sun. And uh, that's because when the sun was forming in the middle of our solar system, it attracted the gravity, attracted all the heavier stuff. I mean, most of the heavy elements of the solar system ended up inside the sun. But uh, but this little piece of rock has everything jumbled together. Hmm. So it comes from a time really before the solar system started to get organized. Right. That's all the little bits and pieces that's before right. they had a chance to form into little planetesimals or something like that. And that's why they're so fascinating. You have a a little bit of the solar system unchanged Hmm. for billions of years. In your hand. In your hand. I mean, that's pretty amazing. (laughs) Something older than the sun. (laughs) So there's there's a lot going on right now. Any other, you know, one more mission that is keeping you awake at night wondering what's going to be next? Well, it, 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 a lot of the stuff comes down to family matters. So my, my husband is working on W first, which is the uh, the wide the, the wide field infrared survey telescope. And uh, um, this is a telescope that actually has two different scientific missions. The main one is incredibly is to figure out what's happening with dark energy. And by using the term dark energy, I have told you everything we know <laughs> about <laughs> Those that. words are completely <laughs> encompassing. So we, we know nothing about it. I mean, it, it was a, a recent discovery. It was 2011. I mean, incredibly, a friend of mine from graduate school, Adam Reese, and then a friend of mine that I work with in Australia, Brian Schmidt, got the Nobel Prize. And then there was also Saul Perlmutter. But um, they were trying to measure how much the Big Bang is slowing down over time. Galaxies have a lot of gravity. And of course, we, we detected all this dark matter, extra gravity. The universe must be slowing down over time. And uh, incredibly, the result was that it's speeding up. It's actually accelerating faster and faster. The, the Big Bang never stopped. There's some energy to the expansion of space, which is accelerating it. And uh, this telescope will be doing very deep surveys of galaxies billions of years old, trying to piece together why the universe could be accelerating. I'm, I'm almost speechless. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's <laughs> That's so a big cool. One. It, is, it is a big one. Well, uh, we'll have to have you come back in, uh, you know, next Conference of World Affairs or of next course. time you're in town and find out what some of these cool results end up being. Yes. <laughs> that was NASA astronomer Dr. Michelle Thaller joining us today as part of the Conference of World Affairs being held at CU Boulder campus this week. For more information about the conference, visit cwa.colorado.edu. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. This week's show was produced and engineered by yours truly, Joel Parker. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from the Boulder Renaissance Consort. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Do you have questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Joel Parker.